This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Uh, it's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. I am, uh, I'm always so happy to sit down and do these on a Sunday because it makes me, it's the closest semblance of normalcy that I have in my life. Me and Jeremy Cohen spitballing about a sport that, um, I don't know when it's going to be played. We got some news this week. Maybe we could touch on that. But um, before we get there, Jeremy, how are you doing? Doing great. Weather is amazing. I hope it's as nice by everyone as it is by me. It was like 70 degrees and sunny this weekend. And uh, yeah, it's supposed to be really cold for me next week. So just trying to enjoy it as we can. I Why did you tell me? I'm, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm watching <laughs> my, my wife and my daughter are running around uh, out in our in our backyard. Um even though it's past her bedtime, it's just it's like too nice of a day not to take advantage of. But sure enough, I'm looking at next week and I see numbers in the 40s. I don't I don't know why those numbers are there. That's not that's not fun. Um, no, it sucks. No, and it snowed like a week and a half ago. Yeah, no, this is so. Yeah, spring in <laughs> spring in New York. What are you gonna do? Um, but uh, you know, such is life. So, um, well, let's. Uh, do we have anything to update generally on the NBA? I mean, you know, they're talking about doing this bubble idea in Vegas, maybe in in uh, Disney World. I, you know, to me, it's still like no news. I don't, I don't think we have any more clarity than we did at any point in time. I mean, well, they put they did push back the draft and they pushed back mm-hmm. the the draft or the rather the draft lottery, right? Did they officially push back the draft? I should probably. I, I think it was the lottery, just the lottery, but not the right? Draft. And the lottery yeah. and the combine, maybe were those. It was those two things. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's if anything, it's a good sign because they, you know, it means they're really going to try to get a season in, which I, I kind of figured they would anyway. But um, all it means is we, we continue onwards talking about what we ever, whatever we have to talk about, um, and we got some news this week, which I have not heard your opinion on, other than the tweets that you sent out. So. Uh, I'd actually like you to kick this off today. Um, Scott Perry is coming back for another year as general manager. Um, Jeremy, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this? So my original thought, and it's it's still maintained to this point, is uh, total and sheer ambivalence to the point where <laughs> I now I though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I now feel like because I've heard so many people um, declaring their own opinions, which is totally fine, but come out so harshly against Scott Perry that I almost find myself defending him. And Did you feel like most of the opinions were 
were against? I, I, I shouldn't say most. I mean, it, it felt like, uh, it felt like a pretty even split between the people who thought this was a really bad move. The people who thought this is just a move. And then there was a sliver of people who were like, this is great. I love this. And I would agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. It, it felt like the, those who were saying, you know, oh, like this, this is terrible. This is, this is awful. This is wrong. I just kind of got that sense of like, well, I, I really don't see it like that. Um, I think if anything, it's, it's better that we are declaring that Scott Perry is planning on being the GM so that when he is assuming he is running the draft, you at least have the guy who is making the picks going to be here. Like I saw a lot of, oh, this, this could be a Phil Jackson situation all over again. And it really wouldn't be um, because the whole point with Phil Jackson and Steve Mills was Phil Jackson ran the team from a president of basketball operations standpoint. And then he uh, he pieced out. But here it would just be Leon Rose, who, again, I fully expect to have full control of the team. He'll certainly listen to those around him. But I, I didn't see it as like, oh, my God, Scott Perry is going to suddenly turn this into a fascist dictatorship and Leon Rose is going to have any say. Or if he is, it's not really going to matter. Um, and I think that there are just some some very pressing circumstances and just with the league being at an impasse because of everything and, and the fact that there's a global pandemic going on, um, I will say I'm really resentful of the Bulls because I think that the Bulls, the fact that they're hiring people, um, it gives Knicks fans a comparison and I don't think that that is a right or wrong thing to do. I just think it's completely different. Uh, we don't know how the Bulls are going to work out. What One thing that we do know, and I think this is actually a, a huge factor, is the Bulls caught a lot of flack because when they were interviewing candidates and they wound up choosing Karnasovas, um, they came under fire for not having any real diversity candidates. Uh, I mean, like football has the Rooney rule and people still are upset because the Rooney rule sometimes just like you kind of just interview um, yeah, the, the Rooney someone, rule is a is a sham, and I hate to say yeah. that because my team that I root for, the Steelers, is it's named after their owner, and um, you know I'm proud to say we employ one of the African American head coaches in the league. But um, you, I mean, they did kind of make up for that with the Eversley hire, though. But you know? that's so that's the thing that I wanted to get to, which is like I I have no idea if Eversley is a good or bad candidate, and I would love to lead this into the next part of the argument with Mil- with with Perry, excuse me. Um, Eversley is the type of person who he's been in the Toronto front office that drafted Bargnani under Colangelo, and he was in the Sixers front office under Colangelo as well. Um, the the impression I get is that because the Bulls did come under fire for not um, interviewing a diversity candidate, that they tried to say, let's find a really qualified guy um, and let's also try to rectify this situation as well. And the thing with Eversley is again, like I just said, he's been part of front offices that have often been maligned, um, especially the Colangelo situation. He kept he was stayed over with Elton Brand, I believe. Yeah. Um, but the thing is this. We can't say, oh, that's a great hire or, oh, that's a terrible hire because we really don't know. Um, and I know Vork touched upon this with when you did your podcast with him. Um, and the thing to me is I don't look at the Mills-Perry um, – front office and try to parse out who was responsible for what because well, how, it's just too hard you? to do. And like, right, exactly. Um, the way I look at it is I look at that tenure of, of those two guys as, a, you know, on the whole as disappointing. I think it's it's fair to say. 
Um, but I will say that there is – I don't want to absolve Perry of, of any wrongdoing at all because I think it is wrong if, if fans say, well, that was just Mills or that was just Perry. But the one thing I will point out is that um, both guys had limited windows of opportunities when they had full control without anyone else to help them. Yeah. Um, and with Steve Mills, what he did was he signed Ron Baker to a ludicrous, ludicrous contract and then he signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to an even bigger contract. And with Scott Perry, he made one move and took a player and turned him into really um, two two really good draft picks. One that's absolutely a first round pick. The other one, which will I expect oh, to I, be an early second round pick. I think that I don't, that that Pistons pick may wind up turning out to have more value than the than the Clips pick this year. I I, I think that's yeah. I think that was a steal to get that in the deal. It was a great trade. It was a great trade. It was. And so so I kind of look at that and I think like. Um, the other thing is, I mean, we can we can talk about, and I know you covered this as well, where you've got Mitch, and I was really glad to hear Gaines's, Clarence Gaines' uh, voice, where he said, like, no, they really did their homework. That, to me, was was nice, because he didn't necessarily have to say that, um, but he, he, he put it out there that it wasn't just being an agent, and of course, even if it were agent connections, then I think in a, in a time where there's no combine, it's really hard to meet with people because it has to be done online and you have a, a minimum or excuse me, a maximum amount of time you're allowed to be with these uh, prospects that it's really important to then keep up these, um, keep up these uh, relationships. No, that, and, that was, can I just say that was wrong of me? I shouldn't, I, for those who don't know, I sent out a tweet and I basically said outside of drafting Mitch, which was done in, I, I it, there was a, a significant part of that had to do with the fact that um, Perry was very close with his agent at the time. Um, oh my God, uh, brothers, uh, Raymond brothers. Raymond. Yeah, um, I shouldn't have said that because that's like you, you know go through every front office person and be like, well, if you take away this move, then really, what, like if you take away James Harden from Daryl Morey, what is Daryl Morey as a GM? It's like it's just it's not fair. And whatever the reasons are that led to it, so I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll mea culpa. That's that's all I wanted to do. Mea culpa. <laughs> Acknowledged in the record. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I was just kind of thinking of what Perry's done, and you know, again, you can't really discern one from the other. Um, I was thinking of it like how I was, I was very prepared after hearing your emergency pod to be like, well, John, you teach algebra. So tell me what does X plus Y equals eight is like, ha ha, you can't, you can't figure it out because it's impossible. Ha fuck you. But I wasn't obviously like no need to do that. X um, plus Y equals eight. You can't figure out X and Y from right. that. Exactly. It'd be weird fraction. So that, that was my whole point about like, how do you figure it out? If you don't have all the variables, it was, it was going to be like a massive, but it doesn't, it's moot. Anyways. Um, the thing that really resonated with me as well was Perry, and he did this with Sacramento because he reportedly ran the draft there. He moved up to pick up Ignas Brazdakis. Oh, now, whatever you think of Brazdakis, the fact that the Knicks – and I checked this. This was like the first time in at least 20 years. I honestly didn't even want to go any further back because I had other things to do. Um, oh, that they traded up? That they, that they traded up in the draft. Yeah, they even, And to me, that was that. great. Yeah. It showed something that was actually thinking outside of the box or – what I guess we could say is like, oh, just doing what a, a normally well-run franchise would even consider. But that also brings me to another point that I came across that um, I found myself genuinely pissed off by, and I shouldn't have been, but it was just like it was a real head scratcher. Um, when people are evaluating his draft records, okay, um, for starters, I mean, 
people have their own opinions about Knox. I think the the one thing to take into consideration for me is I am not a huge Knox fan. I I wanted Mikael Bridges. Well, wait, I, hold on. Wait, are we gonna are you, we gonna go through his draft record because I I or are you making a quick because I, I I we could go through his draft I was, record. I, I just want to what. It was going to be a, a different point, but yes, we can we can also do that. Um, but in terms of Kevin Knox, it was like I'll take him or leave him. I think that there's still talent there. there is. I, I don't know what level uh, it is, but basically, it's it's fans also being a little bit more impatient in the sense of he was always supposed to be a, a three or so year project. If we can see Frank start to turn that corner uh, midway or towards the end of year three then hopefully that can happen to Knox or you know maybe a little bit later. But the point being here uh, is actually with RJ, which okay. is, again, it's hard to parse out who is responsible for what. I'm under the impression that Perry led the draft in 2019. At worst, we could say that he played a huge role in it. Um, I know there was a report that it, Steve Mills was Mills wanted to trade down, right? Trade down, yes. And Perry said, you know, no – Let's let's stick with where we are. Um, if that is true, then I find that there are actually two arguments uh, that are at play that make it a lose-lose situation for Perry. Um, option A is that the Knicks take RJ. And if the Knicks do that, then every NBA Twitter GM is validated in the decision. Well, he was the obvious pick. He made so much sense. The Knicks need this. He would have been the number one pick. Yeah, you know, I gotcha. he was the number one pick going into the season. All this stuff. Fine. Uh, if he does that, then it basically shows, great, he's not an idiot. But if he does anything else, anything whatsoever, and takes anyone else, it's like, oh, well, he's a massive idiot. And how could he have How could he have passed on RJ? How could he have done that? And so for me, it's like when I'm seeing tweets and, and, and hearing about what he has, what he hasn't done, um, it's all so cluttered. But then just kind of discerning that, it's like how can you really say that this person doesn't get credit? Even if it's drafting the guy that we thought it could be, because otherwise you're just put, you're assessing blame in in one way or another, and so that that kind of was something that that got to me. But again, it's I think that we can agree that the entire fate of this front office depended on what happened in 2019 in this in free agency, because the optics of the KP trade are completely different yeah. if Kevin Durant comes to the Knicks and also if he's healthy, right? Uh, especially if he's healthy. But can I? But, I feel like I, I want to jump in there because I feel like it's it's a good time to say just to everything you you made the point a couple times about parsing out and we don't know who, what's what. The, the how the whole Durant thing went down, the KP trade, the Knox pick, like everything. Like you could, there's no way to put the blame. Even if not to say that any of those fates are decided yet, but there's no way to put the blame completely on Perry and I think anyone who does or, or even partially on Perry because for all we know those could have been you know decisions made above his head who knows maybe David Fisdale uh they wanted to placate him and that's why they made the Knox pick and Perry didn't want to take Knox I mean th- like we could go around and around with this stuff there's like the 2019 offseason there's just there's no way to know uh, uh, that's t- people who want to be like um putting stuff on him as it's his fault I'll step in there, and as much as I was not a fan of this, that's wrong, I think. Is it fair to say that? Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and I'm happy. That's the thing. It's like, well, if Perry gets credit, then Mills should get credit. It's like, yeah, give give Steve Mills some credit where it's due. Like, obviously, we know that there are things he did that were really bad. He was in two regimes, 
both of which were failures. He was an operations guy. It's okay to say like, hey, he's made poor decisions. And even when left unattended, he made really bad decisions as well. So it's not like he's the type of guy who deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I don't even I don't even think it's necessarily saying that Scott Perry deserves the benefit of the doubt. It's more like we just don't know. And and acting as such is a problem. And and this is not for you specifically, but Again, it's like it's okay to say I don't know enough about this situation to have a, a formulated opinion. And we, we can talk about things that were the front office and, and we can talk about his past history, you know, but I've seen things as well where it's like, okay, well, we'll look at who he drafted, right? And it's it's like, okay, well, yeah, he had some duds with the Pistons. For example, he was part of the, the team that he's part of the front office that drafted Darko. Uh, but he was also part of the front office that drafts Kevin Durant. It's so it's like it's crazy to go back and think about this stuff at this point. Right. We it's just but then you know it, and the thing is like I do believe that he probably had a very significant st- uh, say in bringing in a guy like Peyton, probably Portis. I'm sure that he it was important to him. But I think also one thing to talk about was Marcus Morrison. I'm not sure if your opinion has changed since your emergency pod because um, I know that you'd said at the time that um, they kind of fell upwards in that case where they weren't expecting to sign him. Well, that I do. Yes, that I my opinion has not changed. They stepped in shit on that one. Why? You have a different so, take? Well, yes, I, I actually do. Um, there was a report by Ayer Blakely. Uh, I believe he's with um, NBC Boston, NBC Sports Boston possibly. I could be getting that wrong. Okay. Um, he had reported back in mid-May. You probably remember this where it was like the Knicks have interest in Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier. And uh, what wound up happening is – and again, we don't know this for certain. This is this is purely my guess. Um, July 1st rolled around and Marcus Morris was looking for a contract where he could have a player option if he wanted it. And the Knicks said, you know, we really don't want that. We want team control except for a guy like Randall because he was a younger player. And they thought that based on his last year, especially with his, his shooting stats – that he would be able to space the floor with a player like Mitch or, I guess, eventually Taj Gibson. Um, so I am under the impression that the Spurs then said, well, listen, Marcus, we've got an offer for you where it's $10 million a year and it's a multi-year deal and it gave him some sort of leverage. Yeah. If he wanted to – like, for example, if he had $10 million right now um, for next season and he saw what the free agent market would look like, there's a very good chance that he would not opt out and that he would in ah. fact opt in. I don't know. I, he so, seems to want to get paid. But uh, anyway, right. yeah, continue. But uh, So I'm under the impression that the reason it didn't work out with the Knicks was because he didn't want to sign a one-year deal and the Knicks would have wanted that. They probably would have wanted a two-year I, deal with the second year as a non-guarantee instead. So you're saying they stuck to their guns and Perry should get credit for that? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying they probably stuck to their guns and Marcus Morris went to the Spurs. Yeah. And then what happened, of course, Bullock – we find out about his injury. Uh-huh. I think it's fortuitous that he was hurt in the sense that they had the money. You could call it ass backwards, but I don't think it was like, hey, we didn't even want this guy to begin with, and now we found out, like, hey, uh, let's show him interest. So you're, so you're saying the fact that they showed interest ahead of time, they get credit for that? I'm saying that they did their homework in the sense of they they knew there was a guy they wanted. That's, they saw an opportunity that presented itself and that they went back. And you talked about how the Spurs were really mad about that and how that affected the Knicks around the league. But you also left out the fact that there was bad blood between the Knicks and the Spurs to I, begin with. I and know. I'm, not, I'm not talking about 99. Oh, I mean maybe that is in this case. But no, uh, the fact that 
it was rumored that the Spurs also tried to back channel and get Porzingis onto their team. I so I I'm hear just you. saying to I'm just saying that um, you can despair not, not you specifically, but like one can disparage the Knicks for how they handled the situation, but you can also say that it's like it takes two to tango. And sure, maybe two wrongs don't make a right. Um, but again, in this situation, I think you just have to look at the facts that are presented. And it's like they wanted a guy. They they didn't get the guy. It, again, my guess is because of the amount of years. It probably differed on that second year. And then he went somewhere else and then they saw an opportunity that presented itself. And then they said, look, if you want this, we've got more money than we thought. Um, we'd love for you to be here. And that's when he reconsidered entering the market, getting – instead of making $20 million over two years, you – you probably rack up a bunch of stats with the Knicks, and you, with that fifteen million, you can parlay that for more than than a five. And he was right; he did exactly that, and it worked out in their favor that they traded him and used that cap space. If you wanted to say like, "Oh, well, from the KP deal, they got another first by transit property," like, sure, technically they did, I guess. Um, but it's the sort of thing to me where again, it, it's it's not so much giving them credit. For that, it's more just taking away the fact that I don't view that scenario of what actually happened as being a negative. And it, it kind of felt like it was phrased in that way. And so I just wanted to, to vocalize a, I, the opposite effect for me. I think that that's, I think that that's valid. And, and I think, you know, intelligent minds could differ in, in terms of whether, you know, whether that situation was, I think the situation from, from start to finish, from the moment they showed interest to Morris until the moment they got the first round pick when that in for him in the trade, I think all in all, it's a net positive. Whether you, how, let's, let me, I, I want to focus on the big stuff because I, I think it's, again, there's so much that's unknown about Perry and his tenure to try to parse out this or that, I think is silly. What I'm prepared to say is that, if you want to look at the evidence and say Scott Perry is a competent NBA GM, I'm I'm the last person who's going to argue with you about that um, or anybody about that. And I think he came into the job with the reputation as a competent NBA front office man. And I think if Leon Rose didn't pick up his option, I think he would leave with the reputation of a competent NBA front office man. My two points that I want to make, one actually – very briefly on the Karnasovas thing, I actually don't think it's fair to compare the Knicks to the Bulls in this situation because the Bulls fired their entire front office, and for them, they Karnasovas was not a lateral move. So, in terms of like their choices, I think in terms of someone to take the position of president of basketball, I think were a lot. There were a lot more good choices than there were for Leon Rose because, you know, people bring up a lot of names, you know, Zarin in Boston or Webster in Toronto. Those guys are already GMs. So, or maybe Zarin is, and maybe Zarin has some other... I believe he's an assistant. Whatever, like, it would be... It would not be a clear upgrade for him to come to the Knicks you don't, and be you don't a want... GM of the Knicks. Like, a clear upgrade for Mike Zarin is to go run a basketball franchise, like be the president. Right. And that's the same thing. You don't thing. want someone who's competent. You want someone who's the best. Yeah, and and the Bulls had to replace their entire front office, so they they got someone who was making a clear jump from GM to president. And then at that point, in terms of the Eversley hire, regardless of what you think of, of Eversley, Karnasovas had to go out and hire someone because he had no GM. 
So I don't think that that situation is analogous to the Knicks situation for that reason. Here's my point on Perry, and I still, I still have not heard anybody properly respond to this other than to say, eh, it'd be too much, it'd be too risky with everything that going, that's going on. He's, he's been competent. Fine. You want to say he's been competent? I'm not going to disagree with you. If he was axed tomorrow, no one else is hiring him as their GM. I feel very confident in saying that. Um, maybe that's a slight, but I, I'm not, that's one hill I'm not going to back down off of. So, if Leon Rose said, we're going to keep you aboard for a year, we're going to pay you the exact same money that we would have paid you as a GM, except we're going to make you director of scouting or direct, direct you, director of um, pro and college scout, whatever. Give him, make up a title. I don't even care what it is. And then go out and get someone else to be the, the, to have the title of GM. That is getting another mind in your building, in MSG. To help you make decisions. You get to have your cake and eat it too. You get all of Perry's institutional knowledge. You don't lose any of the research that he's done preparing for the draft over the last two or three or five or nine or whatever months. You get to keep all of that. But you get someone else, some up-and-coming person to take on that role. Now, you want to tell me Perry would have balked and said, Eh, to hell with this. I'm not not taking a demotion. I'm going to quit. I'm leaving. I mean, at that point, you're telling me there isn't enough knowledge in the building in terms of everything. Like, because Perry's been running the show. He, he's not like he's keeping this knowledge all to himself. You know what I mean? Like, they should have their draft board by now. They should have a plan of attack as to how they're going to approach this thing. Um, I Look, I think it would have been worth the risk. Um, you know, and hey, listen, if Perry gave you pushback, it, then you say, you know what? Fine, we'll keep you aboard as a GM. I... I don't I think know. You're getting hung up on the title, though. Like, listen, I. I but it, but uh, now there's but there's but now like, you're not gonna get someone good. Like, if if you. But, but how? But how do you know that is? Look again. I, I did a podcast with Posting and Toasting Show. We had we talked with Seth Parno, and he he said titles don't mean jack shit. And they can change, and they mean different things to different organizations. And I know you talked about how you really want the Knicks to get their Theo Epstein and Brock Oller. Is is supposed to be a wonderkin. I mean, fine. I that's, a, a that's and that's from, one. I got a message. That's one guy. I right, but they could have got another guy. Why not? Why day? stop at Brock Aller? Why? Because it's not. Look, the one. The one thing is this: Leon Rose has made a point, and I believe this was this has been established that he really enjoys sitting back and letting people work and making decisions from there. Wonderful. And so you're talking about someone who had a week and a half. To evaluate Scott Perry running well, a team wait a and basically trying to figure out what's going on, he was and, anna- and he, he was announced in the beginning of February. I know he was planning he Wade's going away party. He, he didn't. How do you get the inner workings of an office when you're not physically there? Well, you know how what, do you then, other I'll, than just knowing the person that's th- that exists because you have a relationship with them? How do you know what a company dynamic is if you only are there for ten days to observe? You simply can't get a feel of it. Uh, you can't – so bringing someone like Brock Aller on, you at least say, look, I have my cap guy. And, and I got a message from Schwinn saying that he and Drew did a, uh, a podcast with a Cleveland guy who really is – who's on top of this and loves Aller and I, said that basically – and, and I want to quote him. 
I want to quote Schwinn. Oh my God, we're quoting like, Schwinn on this show? I'm, yes. If I was dead, I'd be rolling over on my grave. No, because I think it's it's a worthwhile quote. Oh, no, go for it. it. It makes sense. So basically what he said was, Aller is the nerd dude Nick's Twitter wants so bad. Okay. Listen, so, I'm so here sort for of it. Thing where, right, but it's also this. There's nothing stopping and, – and I'm not trying to set an expectation here, but there's nothing stopping uh, Leon Rose from having Scott Perry in the fold and then transitioning to another job while still being on a contract that's for a GM as like a thank you. You know what I'm I, saying? It, it doesn't have to be – the situation where everything has to start turning over, it can just be we really value what he has to bring to the table for the draft and we can also transition to something else. And even if they don't do that, it's worth at least understanding where you have an adult in the room that you're talking about. You have hopefully that Theo Epstein that that people really want in Brock Aller and you're at least able to have a game plan. But it's not going to be the situation where I see Scott Perry running it completely unopposed I'm, to anyone else. I'm not I'm not I, I'm if people are making that argument that's wrong. I don't think this confirms Perry is going to have a ton of power. It's it is literally just this for me. There are clearly very 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 smart basketball organizations out there. And I don't believe that whether you want to talk about the Rockets or the Jazz or the Raptors or the Thunder or whoever that it's all Presty and Mori and um, you know, and and Masai and um, who am I? For? You know, it's not just the people in charge. Like those organizations have a framework that it. If you're like this, to me, was an opportunity to get someone that was number two or number three or number four or whatever on the depth chart with one of those organizations exactly like he did with Brock Aller. I love the Brock Aller hire. I'm here for right. the Brock so, Aller hire. I don't understand I don't understand why it has to be all in or nothing. I don't understand why it can't be a transition because basically what I feel like would happen is we'd find someone from a front office. They'd be maybe a, a third or fourth in command, right? Yeah. And and we'd hear people wax poetic. And we'd, we'd take that and be like, oh, I'm over the moon. You know, people, it, it's flattering. It's great. Leon Rose has his front office in place. It's fantastic. And they could turn out to be not great in leading a position. This is, this is more my point. Yes, I see what you're saying in terms of taking the risk. And I'm not against that. And that's why I'm not pro Scott Perry. I'm just not not pro Scott. You, you know what I'm saying? No, I, don't, I, I hear you. To the point where it, it feels you have to argue or like I have to – I have to say more about his track record than I even want to because there's plenty of bad to deal with. But it's a sort of thing where you can transition into it. You don't have to go all in because, again, this is a very awkward time well, right Well, can now. I – hold on. But, you but said, I, I have a, a point to make on that because it is an awkward time right now. It is an uncertain time and it is a time which absolutely no one has ever dealt with before. And you you quoted Schwinn, so I got to quote um my buddy Bernard who who will be on later in this episode to talk about the last dance. And it's so funny because uh Bernard and and Schwinn are actually kindred spirits in terms of their basketball opinions. Um his point that he made to me was never before will there be or never before has there been a situation where um, someone who is truly creative can potentially take advantage of the rest of the league, like right now with the with the cap potentially going down, with like an abbreviated you know draft process, abbreviated off season, like all of this different crazy shit. I would argue 
that they're the premium on having a super smart, super creative, super risk takey type of guy in your in your front office making decisions. There's never been as high a premium on that. And I guess with Perry, we could say a lot of nice things about him, but like forward thinking, like kind of creative like these are not the words that I associate with him and again maybe that's me being unfair but I I don't think it is that's the only that's the last point that I wanted to say sure but I I guess that's also where we'll have to see what the what the difference we probably won't see what Scott Perry's effect is but we'll see the difference between Steve Mills and Leon Rose in that it's fascinating to me where of course it's probably who knows? Really, who knows what it is? But if you had Steve Mills build a team and you had Scott Perry build the same team, what do they look like after three years? And they, no they one can answer suck. the question. <laughs> maybe, sorry. maybe so. But the thing is, no, is I don't that know. maybe if you're if you're Scott Perry, maybe you're less or you're more reluctant to trading Porzingis. Maybe you know, like there was a report about him potentially wanting Budenholzer, and eventually Fizdale became the coach. And so, yeah, obviously, like. That's on Perry because he was part of the front office that did it. But is that a situation where Perry eventually came on board? Is the report bogus? Uh, is the report true? And Mills just said, no, screw that. I'm going with Fizdale because I think he's he's the perfect player to have around stars. I really don't know. Yeah. But so it's going to be fascinating to see him no matter what. And I guess just to, to kind of tie it all up, like I said, there's just so much that's unknown that we we just have to kind of say there was there was some good – there was some bad – some of you know the good that was done with Scott Perry by himself was was great. That's exactly what we want. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see and it will just – it will turn out the way it does obviously. Um, but again, I just I'm, – I'm very encouraged by the Aller hiring. I know you are too. I am. Um, yeah, I don't think – I don't think that Scott Perry is the guy for the future and I think you could say, well – then why not hire someone who is? It's totally no, bad. I don't. No, I. I val- listen. I. I, I want to be very clear about this. I value the continuity aspect of this. I value. I think that people gloss over the value of institutional memory way, way, way too fast. Even, even an organization like the Knicks, who hasn't done a whole lot of winning, I think part of the reason they haven't done a lot of winning is because they cycle through people so quick. And and I. I get that aspect of it, and that's why I was not in favor of letting Perry go. Um, it, you know, unless yeah, you had like, role. unless you had like a really like a tried and true like heavy hitter coming in here, and I don't think that guy was available. That's and that's and I want to just I want to make that clear. Um, okay, we've <laughs> for something that we we really don't don't know enough to really speak intelligently about. We've spoken about it for for long enough. Um, let's hit on two other quick topics. Um, before we get out of here. Um, so there was a, a piece, um, Aim Bagley had it, I guess, at the end of the week in regards to, um, I guess, the Pacers had some contract extension talks with Victor Oladipo before the season. They pitched him a number, um, I guess, essentially close to the number that he's making right now, which is about $20 million. I think he might be 21, if I recall. Um, he said no to that. And um, teams are watching the situation. Um, uh, Oladipo, for anybody who forgot, uh, what did he rupture his 
ruptured something. I feel like it was a rupture or maybe, uh, instead of a tear. He, it was a bad injury. He, he ruptured his uh, quad tendon. There you go. It's not it's not what you want. Um, he did that last season. Came back this season. Um, was not did not resemble the the player that that made. Um, did did not resemble the player he was at the beginning of last season, let alone the player that made, um, I think it was second or third team All-NBA the year before. Um, you know, but he's still young. I think he's 26 or so. Um, and yeah, so Bagley was basically just saying teams are watching and um, he's going to be a free agent. So he's, he's one of those few guys that is set to hit the market, like legitimately hit the market in 2021. So in a season from now. Um you basically said you would not give up assets to trade for him, or, or that's what I took from your your tweet. So did, did I get did I get that correct? Yeah. Um, so I, he's actually, if you're listening to this on Monday, um, which most of you probably are, he turns 28 today. So happy birthday, Victor Oladipo. Is he 28? Um, okay, it's a, that's yeah, a, that's a bad job by me. Because he he well he he left after his junior year, and so that that's right. Yeah. Um, certainly. Um, yeah, you know, he's a fine player. There's a lot. It just feels kind of like a, like classic LOL Knicks um, in the sense that you basically have a guy who's coming off of an injury and you want him to, to maybe do more than he might be capable of doing right now. I think it's probably good that he's gotten a lot of rest. Uh, he's played 13 games in the last, I want to say, 16 months. Um, with that said it's a question of how he'll come back. Um, this is one medical opinion, but I, I found a very interesting article just talking about his injury. Um, and CBS sports talked to a doctor, his name's uh, Dr. Rodney Benner. And they asked basically like, how, how rare is this? Uh, and basically this happens to guys who are usually, um, a lot older, maybe closer to 40. Um, what this really does is it impacts a player's athleticism and explosiveness and those are two attributes that helped victor oletipo <laughs> I was about to say, become an all-star really not what you so, want right right so basically if you're trading for oletipo in my mind you're doing it to then sign him long term um and if you're if you're that committed to him uh because if you if you sign up for just the season you're probably looking at a modest improvement because Really, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out what factor of players um, brings this team to the, to the playoffs. And I, it's very tricky. I, I don't think it will take one year. I think, again, under Mike Miller, there was a very nice pace. Uh, I think it was about 31, 32 wins. I think if you made upgrades and just kind of as time took its course, you'd probably get to the playoffs two seasons from now. Um, but so if Oladipo is just kind of like, to get better that transition season, I don't see why you would trade assets for him, or at least an asset. Um, Again, it doesn't mean that he's not worth it. I think he is to the right team. Uh, I think it makes sense for a team like the Nets to have more interest than the Knicks. And again, like, and also, um, Begley basically said that the Knicks were interested, or I'm sorry, that they were watching, they weren't so much interested, Um, which I think is just... uh, not, not that you were hiding. It's just like an important caveat for people as they're yes. keeping this no, in no, mind. No, we, yeah. It's not so much the Knicks want Victor Oladipo. It's that teams across the league are interested in this situation because it's a stars league. And when healthy, Victor Oladipo has shown he can be a great player. So it's just something to monitor. Yeah. Um, I I would not – like um, we spent – 
between this show and the and the posting and toasting show, I've spent a lot of time talking about trading for for Donovan Mitchell. I, I would not give up some kind of Godfather package for uh, for Victor Oladipo. Not not when he's going to be a free agent in a season. Not when he is coming off this injury and is is like I I just. You, you, your tweet made me think like you you had like zero interest in him at all, and I think it's really more like you're not giving up anything really good for him. Is that fair to say? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Again, I mean, if Victor Oladipo were a free agent this summer and the Knicks had money to spend, which they do, that's an interesting. I would that's say, an interesting hey. one. I that's an interesting question. He's not, so we don't have to talk about. It, but that's, huh. Because then it's – and again, we don't know what he's looking for, right? Maybe he's looking for security. I mean ideally in his mind, he's looking for the longest contract possible for the most money. Yeah. But um, essentially if, if teams say we're very concerned about your injury and no team is offering him more than say like a three-year deal, then it's something you at least think about. Uh, again, I would be a little concerned that the season before his free agency, he played 13 games and maybe – playoffs if the league is able to resume i was about to say but otherwise we're, we're gonna get to see him he's he's one of the because even if they don't play any more regular season games they'll play they'll play playoff games so i think um well i i, I mean that was the point of begley's article teams are going to be are going to be watching yeah. closely as they but we, should we also don't we don't know how many games he would be playing uh in the sense of if the league yeah. decides to restrict the number of playoff games and I, I want to say i know it was against the uh, no wasn't it last year where the Celt- where the celtics swept the pacers um. Well, if it was last year, then Oladipo wasn't playing because they he was injured. Right. Yeah, right. And so I mean, they they could have a a better chance this time. But it's the sort of thing where it's like in a hypothetical situation, um, in a, in a standard series, then that's maybe there's a pos- there's a possibility that we only see 17 games of Victor Oladipo. If you restrict that, if you make it even a best of five, then the most amount of games you're seeing is 18 from him. And especially where there's a huge gap in between that that time, it's just a very challenging way. You know, do you evaluate a five game sample size, uh, if it even goes to five games or whatever, and say, yeah, that guy is my guy. It's it's just um, like you said. Fortunately, we don't have to evaluate it, but I I'm fascinated by what he will fetch on the trade market because I do think the Pacers would trade him. It's it's tricky though because. He is like Mr. Hoosier. I was in about so to many say, I, it, it would Fans actually. Love him. It's not like Paul George. It's it's a very different situation. Oh, it's very but different. It, that's yeah, but but Pritchard's a great GM. I was about to say it and, would scare the bejesus out of me if they actually seriously entertained offers because like that guy is a worker. Like he works his ass off. Like he's like such a it, it, everything. He's like everything you want in a in a in a guy for your organization. Um and my God, was he good at, in uh, 2017-18? He was like, he was really went toe to toe with LeBron in that in that first round playoff series. Um, I thought the Pacers had a shot there for a hot minute, but um, okay, we don't have to talk about him anymore. Um, before we get out of here, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm highlighting it in my my newsletter for tomorrow. Although the focus is not on Chris Paul, I'm I'm mentioning him. Uh, this story is not going to go away. Um, I think we all better just accept that. Uh, <laughs> into like for as long as Chris, the Chris Paul of the Knicks rumors, it's like they're they're just they're gonna stay around. So I thought before we left, it might be fun if we actually like tease this out. Like we everybody always talks about, like in theory, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? 
let's actually try to quickly play out like what would happen if the Knicks traded for him. So let's agree on um, a trade package of they give up. I don't know. You want Knox or Frank? Pick one. It doesn't really I, matter. I mean, just let's throw in Knox because of the fact sure. that he has two years of rookie eligibility versus Frank, who will be entering his I, final year. And I think they SGA. would. I think they would ask for Knox, um, and I think the Knicks would try to make it Frank. Um, and I and I and my bet is that if the if the icing on the cake, is, or maybe that, that's probably not the, the right analogy. If the sweetener, yeah, that's probably it. If the sweetener is either like Knox over Frank or like a better pick, my guess is that they would send Knox and keep the better pick for themselves, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, you could also, you could try to figure out a way to flip Dennis Smith Jr. for. Any asset you can get. I, I'm about to say, I don't think OKC. Kind of like I, I don't think they would. T- I, I should say they wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole. But I. Well, no, not th- the Thunder. I'm saying if you. Like one team I oh, feel like would be. Sorry, what? No, no. You're saying like flip De- Dennis Smith Jr. to the Magic for the yeah, Magic's. Whether it's a whatever the hell deal, they have. Just yeah. kind of parsing two trades together. Um, I think it'd be fascinating. Like, I think that depending on what the Pistons do, if they trade Derrick Rose, and even if they get a first. Even if they take a point guard with their pick, um, I think he'd be a really fascinating addition there, just because they have such bad talent in terms of young players. And I would take a shot place- on him if I was Detroit. Right, you've nothing to lose. Um, so I think it'd be interesting, and they have plenty of second round picks later. The Knicks could always try to flip that and another. You know, it could be the Hornets pick, whatever it is. Regardless, um, yes, you were saying basically it would be. It would be what Randall and I was about to say it would, be, salary? it would be salary, and I actually think the Randall part of the discussion is interesting, and I'll get to that in a second because I think that's actually the crux of the discussion. Um, it would be salary and Knox, and I'm trying to think what Oklahoma City would value in terms of draft compensation because they have a billion picks coming their way, and I don't. Like I, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe they would want more like immediate help. Maybe they would want like the Clippers pick this year. Whatever. It would be it'd be something. It, it, it it's Knox and, and draft stuff. The Randall part of it's interesting to me because and this starts us down the road of how this would actually play out. To me, a big part of the reason you're trading for Chris Paul is to up the value of the players on your roster. Now like guys like Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson and and Wayne Ellington and and, and Reggie Bullock, like these guys are what they are. Their their value isn't going to change, you know, all that much. A guy like Randall, right now, we're pretty sure is like maybe maybe teams around the league think he's worth his contract. Maybe some don't. Like he sure as shit isn't an asset in anybody's mind. If you trade for Chris Paul. And granted, there would need to be a whole conversation around, well, like, how, where else are they getting shooting in this starting lineup if you're going to keep RJ there and Mitch presumably moves in and Randall goes there? Um, I don't know if they would want to throw in Randall in that scenario. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, I think they yeah. would. Um, 
So one one thing I'm very curious about is obviously the salary cap, but the effects that that would have on a team like the Thunder. Because it's it's obviously Oklahoma City's goal to sell high on Chris Paul, and hey, how could you not, right? I mean, yeah. he had an all-NBA caliber season. But they're staring $85 million in the face. And this is a team that basically can't make any upgrades. And if they do believe that SGA is ready to take that next step, it will be his third year. A lot of young stars tend to make that leap in their third year, and he already made a tremendous leap in his second. There's a chance that they could say, well, we're happy to take on less money. We'll give it to you because the Knicks as well, this is the conundrum. It seems like each team has the power to say we have an asset or we're or or we're not taking on an asset, right? Like in the Knicks' perspective, they could say, yeah, we're getting a great player, uh, but he's going to be 35 and he's got two years left and um, that's a problem for us. We're doing you a solid. And the Thunder could then say, yeah, well, we're doing you a solid. After, the, after they stop Randall, laughing. <laughs> right. And the fact that we're giving you an all-NBA player. So there is a bit of an impasse, it seems. My one concern with this type of deal, I know that we've talked about the – kind of the, the perception around the league. But man, I mean, if the Knicks made a trade in any situation where they also had to send out an asset, which again could be a possibility here, um, the perception in my mind would be I can't believe the Knicks just traded for 35-year-old Chris Paul. Even if we know the reasons why they did it, the the casual fan and then talking heads – they're all going to start regurgitating the same message, which is the Knicks are crazy enough to go for it. Yeah. They're, they were a terrible team. They've been a terrible team. And now they think an all-NBA player like Chris Paul is going to save them. And what's probably going to happen in that situation is they would probably win close to 37 well, hold, games, well, 36 on. games, maybe. Hold we'll on. Are you, are you trading? Okay, let's take one step at a time. Are you trading? Is Randall in this deal, yes or no? I think he would have to be in any situation for the Knicks to be comfortable taking on that much money. I am actually, hmm. I'm actually going to argue no. I am actually going to argue that Randall Randall stays because the Thunder don't want him. And the Knicks, for them to do the deal, if if they were to put, if they were to flip Randall in the deal, I think they would need to give up like more in terms of either like another young player or another draft asset or a better draft asset or something to make that happen. And I think the Knicks would sooner turn around and be like, you know what, let's not do that. Let's just take, and and they would essentially non-guarantee all of their guys. Um, uh, Portis, uh, maybe Ties, I don't know, but Ellington, and take Chris Paul into their cap space. Yeah. Yeah, that's what if I think. If that's the case, yeah. I do I do think that a three-team deal might work better because if you can find a place – if the Thunder don't want Randall but they want someone else, then the Knicks probably want to include some sort of partner that I'm, does want Randall. I'm actually – no, but here's my – that's again, this is the first point that I made. I think the Knicks would be okay keeping Randall aboard with the thinking that with Paul here – Randall will be a lot better than the version of Randall that we got last year, and I have to say, I don't, I don't think that that's completely insane. Um, no, I'm with you that I don't think that Randall will be gone. When I when I say that, I mean I don't think that there's a mandate we have to trade him. I think that they'd be open to it if the right deal came around. 
But man, I just I look at that starting lineup. Well, of let's so let's Chris hold on. Paul, Randall, RJ, Mitch, and whoever you want to fill well, in for that final spot. Well, let's talk and about it that final spot because it's because so I think they they I don't know who the hell knows where they're gonna where they're gonna draft who they're gonna draft. I'm gonna assume they're gonna draft a point guard because I think that's what the smart money says with the thinking that like Chris Paul will will mentor this young player. Will they have enough money to go spend something on, um, like a shooting, like a shooting wing, um, that's better than like Reggie Bullock, or will they just like just as soon insert Reggie Bullock into the starting lineup? Let's just say for argument's sake, they keep Reggie Bullock and he's in the starting lineup. So you have a starting lineup of Chris Paul, R.J. Barrett, Reggie Bullock, Julius Randle, and um, and Mitchell Robinson. How many how many games does that team win? Um, again, I think it's close to like 36, 37. And that's if Chris Paul is able to continue staying healthy, which this was the first season that we really were able to see that in the last four years. And not just stay healthy, stay healthy and play at the similar caliber level that he was playing with Oklahoma City. I say they win. I think they win 40 games. I think that team wins 40 games. Um, oh, wait, we forgot somebody else is going to be here. <laughs> How can we forget? Our old friend, Carmelo Anthony, is going to be here, too. We know we knew that was coming. Um, okay, so so 12 games, <laughs> they'll win. All right, so, so Melo is going to be here, too. They, they, let's say this. They make the playoffs. They sneak in as the eighth or the seventh seed. Okay, we're now in the summer of 2021. Giannis... Um, is not an option because they have Chris Paul under contract and he doesn't want to come here anyway. Um, Actually not true. The Knicks would have the money if they had Chris Paul. They they could do it. They could do it. Yes, they could do it if they signed nobody else this summer and I guess moved Randall or declined, whatever. If they needed to move him, I'm sure they could at that point. Um, I don't think Giannis is coming here to, to play with Chris Paul. I don't think that's a realistic option. I don't think any superstar free agent in the summer of 2021 at that point would be a realistic option. So what do the Knicks do? They essentially just run it back with Paul. RJ's better. Uh, Their point guard that they drafted this year is is hopefully decent. Mitchell Robinson is better. They signed... Oh, they signed Mitchell Robinson to an extension. We forgot about that. Maybe maybe you didn't forget about it. Well, but but uh, they can... But they can sign other players and then go over the cap to resign them. So that's why I didn't mention it. Okay. But so they have cap room. They sign Mitch Robinson. Let's just say, okay, so let's say for argument's sake, they sign. I'm trying to think who else is a free agent that summer. Ah, we were just talking about him. Do you think they signed Victor Oladipo? I, I don't think that they would pair Oladipo and Chris Paul together. Don't forget about RJ. And I also don't think that they would need to, especially if, yeah, I mean, if you have RJ there as well, it might get a little clunky too. Um, And if you have, uh, if you have some sort of guard in the wings who's just waiting for Chris Paul's contract to end before he can rise up, especially if that's some sort of combo guard, um, like, you know, I mean, for example, Lamelo is certainly versatile, but maybe it's a situation where you then don't bring in a Victor Oladipo. With him, and again, who who knows where the Knicks pick or who the Knicks pick? But I just I don't think it would make for the um, most cohesive of fits. I actually don't think that 
I think the only, the one guy that makes a Chris Paul trade a lot less likely is Lamelo Ball, because I don't think I think like you want like you want to talk to me about like a Cole Anthony or like someone like that, um, or even like Killian Hayes makes more sense coming off the bench. Makes more sense playing alongside another point guard. I could, I'd be actually shocked if they drafted Lamelo Ball and and trade and traded for Chris Paul. Um, I actually think the opposite. You re- you think I they think- would they would be more like because I don't see those two guys playing together as seamlessly as maybe some other like nominal point guards. But you, yeah, you, you, you know, disagree. I mean, so so one thing I had tweeted as well was like if you if your reason for trading for Chris Paul is to have him mentor your prospect, like Leon Rose has his phone number, he's not a hard guy to find. Yeah, and and I think it's possible, but I think that you can at least play. You could play uh, Lamella with Chris Paul, or at least you could certainly have him backing things up in other situations. I'm not saying have Lamella come off the bench. I'm saying like you could still kind of have Lamella run the show, but just a team that has incredible passing will open up better shooting opportunities. And like again, in that sense, I know this feels hypocritical, but like who better to learn from than Chris Paul? Sure, but I think it would just make more sense in that you have an established floor general and you have someone who's probably not ready to take the reins because let's face it, this season for the Knicks, um, it rises and falls with their point guard position. And if you have LaMelo Ball, I don't expect him, if he is running the point, to have a John Morant-like year. So again, if if your goal is to bring people into the building and to win, um, then yeah, I, I could see why going for a Chris Paul player and then having LaMelo and Carmelo try to bring in fans and Chris Paul too and RJ and Mitch, I guess, whatever. Um, that certainly would, would entice fans and it would also have a, a palatable enough short-term and a compelling long-term future. Um, again, I think I'm not, I'm not the biggest of fans behind that move, but I so, can see the rationale. Behind. So let's play it. So then let's play it out this way. It's now the 2021-2022 season. Your starting lineup now is Chris Paul, rookie point guard X, RJ Barrett at the three. Um, I, I guess if they would keep Randall around for one more year, and then Mitchell Robinson. Theoretically, by this point, RJ Barrett's pretty good. Your rookie point guard is a year better. Chris Paul is worse. Um. Mitchell Robinson is whatever Mitchell Robinson is going to be. Julius Randle is what Julius Randle is. I'm going to say the same thing. It's another team that wins around 40 games, um, assuming Chris Paul stays healthy. And then you enter the summer of 2022 with Chris Paul's cap. Uh, his, his his number is off the books. But at the same time, you may have gone over the cap Oh, actually, no, sorry. Randall would be off the books and Chris Paul would be off the books. So you have, uh, what, $65 million coming off or 66 67 You have a lot of money coming off the books. And, uh, and yeah, you'd, pro- you'd probably have um, 45 to $50 million in salary, which means that you'd probably have at least maybe like $80 million in money to play with. So in theory, you would have R.J. Barrett on a rookie contract, rookie point guard X on a rookie contract. Mitchell Robinson make it about 15, 12 to $15 million a year. Um, and upwards of $80 million in cap space. 
to spend, or let's say seventy million dollars in cap space to spend on um, the twenty twenty two free agent class, which is a bunch of old guys. James Harden by this by this point they'll be old. James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook, Jimmy Butler, all five of those guys have player options, so they may not decide to exercise them. Um, There's a caveat though. Bradley Are Beal. You caveat. Bradley Beal is a free agent that summer. Um, and that's it. That, oh, and then possibly, possibly, possibly Anthony Davis. There we go. So again, if I think that what you're what you're saying with Chris Paul, it works if the entire plan is to plan for one of 2022 or 2023, or even if you're trying to figure out a way to do both. And I don't think that's a bad plan, right? Like, yeah, but I, the, I, let's be clear about what the plan is. The plan is we just showed ourselves to be a competent enough basketball franchise to win half of our games over the course of two years, and we have three guys in place, and maybe four, who knows, maybe Frank takes a leap, maybe they don't trade Frank, maybe they trade, or sorry, maybe they don't trade Knox, maybe they keep Knox, maybe Knox takes a little bit of a leap, whatever. There's like, there's a, you know, three, four young guys here that are legitimately good, not superstar good, but legitimately like, if you come in here, they will be your wingmen, and they will be damn good wingmen. Um, I... Is that appealing? Is that appealing enough for one player, for two players to take all of their money? Even though the guy that theoretically you did it on the shoulders of is now gone. I, I Yeah. Don't... I mean in that, in that sense what you would basically then try to consider is, okay, well what if we just signed Chris Paul to a cheap deal of some sort? Well, that – You know, like let's get all of our to stick around. around. Sure, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, you know, I mean – I think that's that's the biggest pro argument for taking on this contract. That's is, the only pro argument. What other argument is right. there? That's the thing. I mean, <laughs> essentially, well, the other argument would be if if it somehow happened, and I don't think it would be possible, or rather, I don't think it would be probable, is if the Knicks took on an asset because of the scale of what his contract is, and the fact that they're basically by taking on Chris Paul's contract, they're saying we're we're going to punt on 2020 free agency and 2021. And that is a lot to ask of the Thunder to take on that contract of that magnitude. Because again, the only reason the Thunder took on that deal was because they were sending out Russell Westbrook's in return. Yeah. So well, they also got a lot of, a lot you of have to, right. It's the opportunity cost where the Knicks could say, yeah, Chris Paul had a great season, but what happens two years down the line? And, and I mean, that's kind of why I would love a situation where I don't see the harm in, trying to figure out what happens this year. And if you are still looking for that elusive point guard, no matter what, unless Chris Paul is basically like needs his legs, Alex Smith amputated style possibly, where it's like throw him out there, trade for him, especially because only one year you're if – he, if he's still an asset, then great. You, you made an upgrade and also what you're able to do is you're not giving a whole lot because it's a one-year $45 million salary dump. And Chris Paul – is not going to be worth $45 million that season. Um, yes, again, great this past season, absolutely fantastic. But the likelihood of him providing $45 million worth of value to a team is very slim. So if you're able to kind of tiptoe around that where you say the asking price right now is just it's just out of our comfort zone, but we can revisit this later, I think that's a perfect situation for the Knicks. Um, 
but again, just trading in the trading in the future or trading for that type of deal, knowing that you're on the hook for it for two years, it's it is a lot to stomach. It's um, it's not but for again, me. It's, it's not for can, me because I don't think anyone's coming here. I just right. I just don't. But in so the next I, two years, if you're able to walk away, like again, like the ideal thing that you're saying, I agree with that. Um, but I think there's one other major caveat, and that's that I would want the Knicks by that point to also by that point being uh, 2022 summer. Uh-huh. I would also want them to have their number one guy under contract through the draft, because otherwise. Yeah, I mean, if you if you manage to have Worldwide West, you know, do his little fingering across, which sounds very dirty, but across <laughs> the league and basically try to bring these filthy. stars together, he really does. Uh, if you want, if you want Worldwide West to finger basketball players, then um, I can't. You, what you you, it do. sounds disgusting. <laughs> it sounds absolutely disgusting. But continue. yeah, it really does. Um, then yeah, I mean, a big appeal, of course, would be if they have not just good pieces around but the guy and i think that's important for the knicks too because if they would lucked into a situation where they were able to bring in those two one who is truly elite and one who's elite at things uh, i think there's a, a clear disparity between those things um then you would probably want someone who can then carry the torch uh after these guys have left because they're going to be 29 years old or so and you want to not have a window of three to four years you want to have a window of 10 to 15 or more. So it's imperative no matter what the Knicks do to get their – the guy, the guy for them. Um, honestly, it cushions – like Chris Paul coming to the team would cushion the blow. I just think that um, it, it would – it's harder to do it. It's harder to get that guy if you bring in Chris Paul. And and then it's kind of like how are you – are you balancing your reputation or are you balancing your long-term future? I, and it's a lot better to balance your long-term future than it is your reputation and, and trying to raise the value of the periphery guys in the short term. I think it comes down to a very – it's a it really does come down to me to a simple question. Does the value that Chris Paul brings in terms of A, your – the organizational rehabilitation he single-handedly um, uh, engineers – and I guess part and parcel with that, B, how much more appealing your current players look, especially the young players look, playing with Chris Paul, does do does do those because if if those two things are high enough, then that gets you to potentially you know Beal and Anthony Davis or or one of these older guys in twenty twenty two. I versus um, essentially tanking next season and trying to get your the guy in the draft. And here's the last thing I'll say on this. And this is the kind of dirty little that my I think I think this may actually push me over the edge of like I I am I think I can't believe I'm going to say this. I might be in favor of trading for Chris Paul. You just said it several times. He's old. He's injury prone. If he's on the floor, we know he's going to be great. We just don't know if he's going to be on the floor because he's going to be thirty-five years old in two days, um, and he's you know six foot nothing. I, if like if he's if he gets hurt or something or it's like not like it doesn't. It's crazy, but it doesn't take the option of tanking next season off the table if he gets hurt. I, it I, doesn't. That sounds but insane. The, then the but, problem is if if you if you if you trade assets to get him. 
and then you're just paying for him to be hurt and then you're essentially paying for the opportunity to tank that to me feels just completely oxymoronic well no but here's my here's my my real point is i i don't think that they are going to take the tanking route I think we both are pretty much in agreement that they're they're not gonna. And when when we say tanking, we should be clear they're not just gonna run their rookie point guard out there with a with RJ and you know Mitch and like other kids and like just you know be content winning twenty five to thirty games next season. I just don't see that happening. So if they're not gonna do that, they and they're gonna try to win. It's like parsing out like what are the different values of the different win now options, and if the alternative to the Chris Paul thing, I think, is the Fred Van Fleet, like Christian Wood, poo poo platter of like decent to semi decent free agents. In which case, I'm almost positive tanking will be off the table in that scenario. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? That's why I'm kind of positing it as a potential ancillary benefit that would otherwise not exist if they spent the money on like a Van Fleet and like a Christian Wood. Right. Yeah. Basically, you're saying it's it's very high boomer bust. Whereas the Fred Van Vliet type route would be yeah, I, I, building, I, but I, yeah. you probably you'd probably take that step forward, not a huge one, but enough to get you out of that range, barring lottery loss. And I don't know. I kind of, I kind listen. Anybody who knows, listens to this podcast knows knows what I want. I want. I wish they were a real organization that valued the draft and development and like made a real investment into all that. I'm just at the point now where I'm convinced that that's never going to happen. So these are the things that I have to talk about um, and think about and worry. You know, like, what 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 are the best of these options? So I don't know. I'll say this: I I did not want Chris Paul. I still don't, but I'm more open to it than I was before we started this conversation. Yeah, there you go. Well, listen, see the the lawyer in me is still there. <laughs> um on that note, okay, we've been we've been talking for over an hour um about again, we always manage to do this. We talk for an hour about a sport that's not being played. Who else could do this? I don't know. <laughs> um Jeremy, uh it is a pleasure as always. Um I wanted to ask you about um something Jordan LeBron related, but I'll save that for next week cuz I'm assuming we we may not have as much to talk about next week. Um and I have a, a topic for you. Uh, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, should have the next part of my series coming out. But other than that, uh, no, everything's all good. <laughs> okay. Um, and looking forward to next week for that. And yes. Don't tell me in the meantime. I'm not going to tell you. Um, good. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. And for everybody else, um, as usual, we'll have uh, uh, Oz and Yash coming on with a uh, Last Dance episode Uh, five and six recap um, right now hi guys (laughs) (laughs) oh yes 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 uh, oh, that was fun. Um, Yash, you with us? I am, yeah. That's good. Um, uh, that was a little tough. It's a little tough. At points. Just saying. Hey, you were right about Smith. They didn't do him too dirty. Only two replays. I knew they weren't going to do it. A, a huge thing. Because it's... He's so... Like... 
Clyde Drexler was insignificant to Michael Jordan, and Clyde Drexler was a, on the fucking dream team. He's all a famer. I wanted, I wanted Smith seated, seated at a bar discussing that as the darkest moment of his life. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it would, it would have been beneath him and the program to spend that long as much as I'm sure, you know, Nick fans were preparing for. I will say this. I, I kind of dug that they, um, I dug that they, the way they introduced the Knicks as like a real, a real threat. I mean, they kind of did, but then MJ himself said, when we were at our best and they were at their best, we were the much better team. Yeah, but he's, he's going to say that about everybody. Except he didn't say that about everybody. I mean, he said Isaiah was the second best point guard of all time. <laughs> you want to get into this now? You know, I mean, we can, we, it's your show. We can get into whatever you want. It's not anybody's show. It's the it's the universe's show, Yash. Um, should I introduce you guys? Yash, Oz, hi, hi. Um, sure. What the hell? Let's start there. Whatever. We have a lot of a lot of stuff to get to. Um, so wait. So Jordan said he's the second best point guard of all time in his mind after Magic. Yes. Yes. Yep. I think it's a defensible statement, Bernard. Uh, I know what Yash thinks. So we'll wait to get to him. What do you, What do you think about that? I think Oscars too, but I think Isaiah is a, a reasonable choice. I got to tell you, before I watched this episode, I might have I might have thrown John Stockton in the conversation, but I, I got to say, Jordan's Jordan's word carries weight. He faced both of them at when they were still good too. And uh, if he's going Isaiah, I think I don't think he's second, but I think Isaiah third is a is a pretty reasonable position. I I don't even know. I I don't know how to have an Oscar Robertson conversation. But then again, like, because he didn't, I mean, he the guy did not win a whole lot and didn't exactly uh, inspire uh, his teammates to be at their, their very best. Not saying that, the you know, Pistons championship teams were all Thomas. You, so, Yash, you think it's ridiculous? You know, I mean, I was, I was exaggerating slightly in our group chat. I don't think it's ridiculous. I would put him... Okay, for me, it's Magic 1, Steph Curry 2. Steph Curry's I mean, not a point guard. Oh, yes. he's a point guard. No, he's uh, not. Steph and Wes have to be in their own category. They're not standard point guards. That's- he plays the point guard position. He is backcourt mates with Clay Thompson. Oh, come on. They are. Like, th- he was the point guard in that in that relationship. So, okay, you guys can disagree with yeah, me. Yeah, just because you're the That's man fine. in the relationship doesn't mean that you, that actually means anything. You actually need to earn that. <laughs> I mean, he averaged close to seven assists a game. Y'all should know what career. that's like. <laughs> um, yeah, what did he say? He averaged close to seven assists. Yeah, no, I, we're, we're done here. This, come on. It's, it's Steph Curry's going to... He that's not who Michael Jordan was talking about. He was talking about point guard point guards, not like okay. I, I play the well, point guard right, position. Well, let me get to I think John Stockton's clearly a better point guard than Isaiah Thomas. Stockton led the league in assists nine straight seasons. Yes. And I, and and he, find me the 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 talent evaluator worth his salt in NBA history that is that is take if they had to choose between one of those two players. On day one of their career, 
knowing that knowing that Stockton had a career that was I don't know probably almost twice as long. I, I off the top of my head, I would have to think it's seven or eight seasons longer than Thomas's, and and that's probably even counting Thomas's last couple of years, which are not real years. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, nobody else, nobody else did. Even Magic only led the league in assists like four or five who, times. Yeah, but who cares? Stockton's in it nine. Who cares? Stephon Marbury led the leagues in assists. <laughs> Give me shit. Exactly. Okay, but Thank I, you. I think doing it nine straight seasons is pretty damn impressive. It's wonderful, and John Stockton will have that with him and he'll take it to his grave and it's a lovely accomplishment. He's not a better point guard than Isaiah Thomas. I'm sorry. Um, For what reason? What is it that Isaiah did better as a point guard than John Stockton? He won two championships and he defended and yeah, those are some things. And you're not winning this one, Yash. I'm sorry. Isaiah Thomas is a better point guard than John Stockton. Look, Stockton Stockton is an all-time great compiler. He's an all-time great dirty player, which I respect the hell out of. But you know what? Isaiah might be an even dirtier player than Stockton, and peak matters. And Isaiah's <laughs> peak is greater than Stockton's. Except he wasn't just a compiler. He literally led the league in assists every season. Yeah. Uh, I, he's, look, I John Stockton was one of my favorite players growing up. I'm not, I'm not doing this to disparage John Stockton, but like when push comes to shove – Thomas is the guy you wanted with everything on the I mean, line. He he let Thomas led the league in assists exactly once. I, I don't mean, ca- I don't care if he never yeah, even was close. Yeah, it's a meaningless stat. Andre Drummond led the league in rebounds the last five years. Wake me when that fucking guy makes a positive difference, you know, on the basketball court. It's, Andre it's, Miller is eleventh place in assists all time. Mark come Jackson on. is like what fourth? Yeah, no, it's come on, stop. Um, you're you're demeaning yourself on on the podcast, which I, I understand. That's this is the podcast to demean yourself on, but still, that's that's true. If there was one, it's, um, it's this. yes, exactly. Uh, there were some good lines in this one. Uh, first of all, Wait, actually, I, I, have, I have one critical observation before we dive. Please, deeper. yes. I hope you guys got a good look at Pat Riley because evidently living in Miami, he's now made entirely out of cocaine. <laughs> he's like a cocaine human hybrid. And, and really it's, it's quite astonishing. Pat Riley remains my idol in life <laughs> and will always be um, my idol in life. It's, I was reading, I don't know if it's true, but I think, um, yeah, I was reading the IMDB trivia on uh, Wall Street a, a week or two ago. Cause, <laughs> no, because uh, Dolores had never seen the movie and I wanted her to see it. And so we watched it and I was reading it afterwards. And he, I believe he said something like he modeled the character after Pat Riley. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, you know what? That's awesome. And not that Pat, Pat Riley needed any more kudos, but yeah, that's another one. Um. Yeah, Riley's. I mean, he's Riley. I actually was a little upset we didn't get more. Riley. I could have used a little bit more Riley in this episode. If this was going to be the Knicks episode, I could have used a little bit more Riley. Are we getting the "What If Wednesday" with uh, Riley staying with the Knicks? This week? No, because what am I going to write? That the Knicks win a bunch of championships. If if Pat Riley was has had been with the Knicks from 1996 until today, it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of how many. Bernard, do you disagree with that? I'm just pouring myself another drink because it's too depressing to talk about. <laughs> well, speaking of depressing, I, I have to say that the the opening of the show, um, I did not know we were getting a Kobe one-on-one 
um, it still hit me a little bit. Um, that was tough. That oh. was. Yes. You know what? I'm glad we are talking about that because I mean, his interview where he talked about how he never would have won the five championships yep. without MJ being his big brother. I mean, the humility and class that Kobe grew into after he retired, it was, um, I mean, that interview was, it was, it was tough to watch just because you realize he had so much more left to do. Yeah. And we, you know, it, w- it wouldn't have been the same, obviously, but, you know, we were getting one of these things in however many years, 10 or 15 or 20 years about, about Kobe. And it would have been fucking great. Absolutely. Oh, we, yeah. we are getting one of these about Kobe in 10 or however many years, because there was a camera crew. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Fire last season. So we are going to get one of these and probably pretty soon. But and you know what? That aside, man, I got a little misty when he was giving the big brother comments. And I'm I'm cold and dead inside. So that's really saying something. <laughs> but that's the thing. That, that is saying that, something. That's what keeps surprising me every time about Kobe is like me. I, I'm, as you know, like you, Bernard, I, I don't. I don't feel human emotions, but uh, something about when I see him on and talking, it's just, yeah, it's tough. Um, uh, so after that, we uh, had some fun stuff. What was it? I took offense to that. Oh, yeah, that's what. Uh, Jordan. <laughs> Can you imagine the balls on Michael Jordan? I took offense to Clyde Drexler, who second in MVP voting that year. By the way, for, first team all NBA in 1991-92. <laughs> And and Michael Jordan, t- I, I took offense to him being, my God, that was great. You know, that's another reason, though, that his he really did have a lot of respect for Isaiah Thomas to say something that nice about him. Yeah, but, it, but in fairness, Thomas Thomas beat him. Right, exactly. He knew that Clyde was never going to beat him, and I hate to say this, he knew that Ewing was never going to beat him. Um, it's true. You know, but you know, Barkley, I wonder if he was, if, that's the one thing I didn't, maybe I missed that soundbite. Did he say anything before the the Suns about how he felt before the Suns finals about whether he, they had any like question as to whether they were going to win that? Who, MJ or Barkley? No, MJ. In this, in the, what we just watched. I, I feel like he didn't. That was treated as done. Yeah. Man. Whereas Barkley was like, oh, I felt confident going into that series. I thought we were going to win. I think if, other than uh, Kobe's or, or Obama's comments, uh, Barkley's comments were probably my favorite uh, of, of this episode. Well, that and the Rodman, the Rodman Hooters line, which... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bernard, uh, you're, you had a, a pretty great analogy about Rodman. So look, Rod, Rodman said that he was going to Hooters because it was time for him to watch some tits and ass. And it occurred to me that, that Dennis Rodman is a, is a sex addict the way MJ is a gambling addict. And, and MJ is really happy to go take a dollar here and there in a, in a blackjack game from BJ Armstrong and Tony Kukoc. Just the same way that Rodman is happy to go meet his needs at a Hooters. It's not the $100,000 hand, but it's can, something to scratch that itch. Can I make a <laughs> counter argument? Please. Maybe he just really liked the wings. <laughs> I then, know him. Why? I'm Why serious. Bring up the tits and ass. Then they really like the wings because he didn't. He wanted. He he was cultivating the image, um, the the Dennis Rodman image. Whereas secretly he just wanted to get some good wings. Because if think about it, if Dennis Rodman, <laughs> if Dennis Rodman wanted to, wanted to see tits and ass, 
You really think he was going to fucking Hooters? Come on. That's like, well, it's, it's like Bernard said, it's that's that $1 uh, bet, uh, game of blackjack. It's Look, your, your job, Macri, is to get Tiger Woods on this podcast next week to describe what yes. Dennis Rodman is <laughs> I'm just saying, as someone who used to go to Hooters a lot during first year of law school for the wings, I, I understand sure that sure is exactly did. why I went there. <laughs> and, and, and it was conveniently Macri, located. Is this... Is this- is this you finally coming out to us? Is this the way that you wanted to choose to do this? Jesus you did Oh, Jesus. You you didn't know I used to go to Hooters my first year at Florida? It was down the block. It was on 50, what was that, on 56th Street. They closed that location yeah. down. I didn't. We didn't know you went for the wings. I mean, the staff was nice, but okay, listen. I we're, you we're, went for the alcoholism, but. Well, that, that helped as well. Um I was going to open this episode by saying this is actually an intervention. It's not a podcast, but I thought that would be uh, that would be un- uncouth. Um, okay, you're, you're, as you as you 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 went through the Drexler Alpha Alpha Beta relationship. The the best Alpha moment of this entire thing was that little throwaway, the old footage before the Dream Team of someone asking, uh, someone asking Jordan, who's going to take the last shot in a game. And he looks at the camera and goes, man, that's a dumb question, me. <laughs> and then he does this sitcom eye roll. It's the biggest eye roll anyone has ever done in a normal human conversation. And repeats, me. I, I think that was amazing. That was good. I think that was a moderate shot, actually. <laughs> I mean, the, the the you just got one from him. That was a good one, too, with the... Uh, and and can I just say the 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 scene of Jordan? So that's the scene where he gives the ticket to I don't I forget who the player was. Um, uh, what what Bulls scrub needed an extra ticket? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, yeah, like it's near God, and yeah, you just got one from him. Um, Jordan holding court in that little office is just like he clearly ran the organization from that little hole in the wall. It was great. <laughs> LeBron oh. wishes he had that sway today. Oh God, I I hate the comparisons. You know, you know who shouldn't get one of these ten part docu series? Uh, we're gonna do this now. I would, thought we would save this for a few weeks I, from now. I I mean, we can do it. We can do it a few weeks from now. No, I, I will say this though. I thought when uh, the part of the episode when I think it opened um, episode six by kind of giving you the full sense of how, you know, being, being Michael Jordan really sucked um, because of like the, you know, it was just, it was constant and, um, you know, unrelenting. Um, And I thought, wow, LeBron James took a two week fucking vacation in the middle of a season one year, just for shits and giggles. And nobody said boo. Yeah. Because, you know, LeBron, I mean, we talked about before. Yes. He's the biggest athlete in the world. Um, but Jordan wasn't just the biggest athlete at one point. He was the biggest celebrity period. He was bigger than just basketball. So yeah, he, he was famous in a way that LeBron just isn't. Speaking of, I I have the, the post show on in the background. Oh yeah. Kevin Love just tweeted. Michael Jordan was the alpha alpha period. Nice little subtweet of LeBron there. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. even LeBron's own teammates get it. I it's a fascinating. I'm. I want to. I don't want to have the discussion right now because I want to actually spend some time thinking about it uh, before we do. But it's very different guys. I feel like the two of them. 
um, it's very, it's interesting to me. And I, it's, I don't know. I don't know that there's an easy answer. I really don't. I mean that. And you know, I worship Michael Jordan, but I, I don't, I don't know. Um, should we, uh, should we talk about Obama's comments? Yeah, let's Jesse do that. Uh, Wait, can, I, can I come back? Just, just one thing. Please. My filmmaking comment for the week, John. Oh, oh yes. The beginning of episode six, the way that Jason Hayer set up Jordan's life and how brutal and enervating it was in like a three minute montage was such a feat of editing out of this. Look, we, we, we have 10 hours of this thing all constructed from, you know, what, 30,000 hours of footage or something like that. And in three minutes to, to bring that together so clearly such that when you, when you hear him say no reservations at all, I'm there on being done with the lifestyle, really fucking tremendous filmmaking. And, and if you think about it, this is the fact that the documentary is splicing together Essentially, there's three. It's three documentaries in one, right? It's it's the interviews now, it's the last season, and then it's all of the stuff from before the last season. It's it really is incredible how they've um, how they got it all right, and it, it's been it's it, and yeah, she even said it. You feel like every episode is better than the one before it. Absolutely. No, it, it's it's great. Um, Okay, we were going to talk about Obama. So yeah, let's hit let's hit Obama a couple more, and we'll get out of here. So uh, yeah, I'll give. Uh, what, what'd you what'd you think about our uh, former president's comments? God, I miss our former president so much. I know you have we all do. no idea. We we don't talk about and, politics on the show, but we could we could say that we we miss him. I think that's allowed. I mean, especially especially compared to every single Democratic candidate who's ran since they've all been. This is the part you'll be editing out. <laughs> no, no, I'll, listen. Yeah, 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 I should say his piece. I'm not going to. It's fine. I loved that the first thing Obama said when they had him on was just the different set of expectations there are for a famous, successful black person in America where you're beloved to a certain point, but you have to, you're held to a different standard. People expect more from you. And it's much uh, easier for people to turn on you. And that tremendous pressure that was on Michael Jordan to be more than just the best basketball player, that they wanted him to be this activist that he never really intended to be. I mean, the guy was, we're talking about 1990, he was still in his 20s, focusing on being the best basketball player in the country. Like, Why do we expect him to be a political activist and, and support uh, getting involved in that in that Senate race supporting well, Harvey Gantt. Wait, well, hold on. Didn't they answer that question implicitly, even though Jordan didn't say anything about it with the whole Ali thing? That's why they expect right. That's why we expected it. Not we. I was, whatever, nine at the time, but people. Yeah, that, that's like we're, we're already we're holding him uh, to a standard where Muhammad Ali, that was all genuine. He was a political activist just as much as he was a boxer. Whereas Michael Jordan was just trying to be the best basketball player. Yeah, but if we're really going to have a conversation about this, the reason Michael Jordan was able to be the most famous person on the planet and be black um, and not like and that not be an issue. um, I mean, I'm sure it was an issue, um, but in terms of like he was able to to live his life um, and be the most famous person that wouldn't have happened without Muhammad Ali. Correct. 
it wouldn't have happened without a lot of people. Yeah. Um, well, yes, Muhammad Ali is one of many. It would have not happened, right. without, of course. But my, you get my point here. So no, to, I, to, I to to then turn so, around and be like, I don't have to be this is, I don't know what the word is, but it, there, I'm sure there's a word for it. Right. So that's what I was going to get at is uh, while it would have been wonderful if he had supported Harvey Gant enthusiastically, because Jesse Helms, as we saw, was a truly loathsome human being. Oh, my God. How, I mean, how say, about some of those uh, clips? My God. Oh, Jesus. I know. Yeah. 1990, a buddy of mine texted me while we were texting each other. Did that did that guy really just say in 1990 on TV, there's no joy in Mudville after beating his rival black uh, opponent in a political race? Yes. Oh. That's the kind of guy Jesse Helms was. And how about that's the South <laughs> today? <laughs> I mean, Christ. All right. Uh, anyway, continue. Yeah. Right. So, yes, it, it would have been great if he could have, in addition to being the best basketball player on the planet, also been the kind of activist and role model off the court that Muhammad Ali was. But at the same time, I don't hold that against him. And it doesn't make me think less of him. No, I just, yeah, no. I, you know what? He it's a been... fucking minefield, though, to be fair to him. Look exactly. at what's happened to LeBron. Every time LeBron steps a foot out there on something political, and honestly, some of his tweets are fantastic, the ways, he's, the ways that he's trolled Trump. But every time you, you choose to take on that role, you take on an, an added burden. And so then when LeBron got out there tweeting about, about China and everything else – recently uh look it blew up in his face it, it, you, you're kind of all in or you're all out and it's difficult to try to say what parts you should be in on what parts you should be out on and where the business decisions become a consideration it's great when professional athletes want to risk their popularity to make political statements i respect the hell out of it but there's real there's real business reputational risk to doing that and more than just the business angle, it's that about half the people are going to start hating you after that. Correct. Once they know what side we're on. Because Republicans yeah. do buy sneakers. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and like camo boots or something. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Now, and I'm glad you brought up LeBron, uh, Bernard, because everything you said was spot on there. While I don't think it's particularly close who the greater – on-court player was between MJ and LeBron. I have much more respect for LeBron off the court, just with everything he does, with his charity work, with his activism. I think LeBron's off-the-court image, his work that he's done, is incredibly admirable and commendable and should get talked about more. Well, I wonder I wonder if he, because I agree with you, Yash, and which is part of why I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I wonder if he would uh, along the way have been able to dedicate as much uh, mental and emotional energy to all of that. Had he been the same type of relentless um, competitor on the court um, as not to say that he's not a, a serious competitor. I'm sure I'm going to get pushback from somebody else by, by even applying as much, but like, He's not the competitor that Michael Jordan is. I think, you know, I don't think I'm speaking un, untoward of, of him by saying that. No, you're not. Um, no one was. Yeah, no, and I, I don't. I won. I, you know, it's like you you have to pick and choose your 
your spots. And, you know, Jordan, picked, Jordan picked his, LeBron picked his. Um, also, to, to defend Jordan for one, for one second here, I mean, you, you, you got to read the room. And Jordan, Jordan is debuting in the 80s, ascending in the 90s. It's just a different universe. We, we talked about the ridiculous statements uh, from the politician who beat Gant, and that, that's, that was normal in 1990 and that's just give or take some stuff recently that's not okay anymore in the yeah. 2010s and in 2020 in sort I mean, of a, a post obama world things have shifted in a way that makes it easier for lebron to take on that burden than it ever would have been for jordan yeah you know and i'm glad you brought up uh, you brought it back to obama for a second because let's talk about even today yes it's no longer 1990 but Today, it's 2020. And look at what Barack Obama had to be to be elected the first black president compared to Donald Trump. Could Barack Obama have been elected president if he was on his third marriage, if he had cheated on his wives as much as Donald Trump has, if he'd had any number of the scandals that Donald Trump has had with the standard that you're held to as a black public figure? No way in hell. He was the first black president of the Harvard Law Review. He was. Uh, yeah, but this is and, this is all obvious. Yeah. That goes without saying. Right. Right. And and uh, and that was the minefield that Michael Jordan was dealing with. Now, I mean, the one thing I'll say, Bernard, the slight no, correction is Jesse Helms, even for 1990, was a particularly loathsome guy. That's why sure, that sure, situation that's like that's why Jordan did um, get criticism for that, for not standing for not backing Harvey Gantt because um, it wasn't, I mean, he got that criticism because Jesse Helms was particularly awful even for 1990. So people were like, hey, you could have gotten involved here and we would have been fine with it. I, I would actually but, argue it would have been the the easier thing to come out in support of Gantt for Jordan at the time. Because he like it was an issue at the time. I remember this that he didn't that he said this at the time. He he misplayed. He thought he was doing the safer thing, and in effect, he was doing the opposite, which is kind of what's ironic about it. Right, exactly. I just don't agree. I mean, Space Jam came after billions upon billions of dollars of shoes came after. We see his living room every Sunday night. He didn't. He didn't. Maybe maybe he did the the thing that in hindsight we look at and be like, well, history doesn't view that the right way. He clearly made the right pragmatic decision in real time. Not the I, right moral decision, not the right ethical decision, but I think he made the right pragmatic decision. And, and what I'm saying time. is I don't know that if he had come out and supported a politician in a Senate race in North Carolina, I I mean, or how really, how, how different are we talking in terms of his finances, in terms of his legacy, in terms of anything? I, I, I don't know that that would have made... Maybe I'm being naive here, which I've been before. God knows. Um, I don't know. I just don't know that it would have made a huge difference, but maybe it would have. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll never know. But, you know, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle that it is yep. likely that Jesse Helms, though, was so terrible that even a lot of Republicans would have looked at it and thought, you know what, we get it in this situation. If it was just some run of the mill Republican, um, it, it could have been a different situation. but. Anyway, I mean, the whole point of that segment, it was just a well-done segment overall. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. And, and Obama Maybe chose my, his words very carefully. and uh, As he always does. As he always does. 
um, as he has to do to to have ended up in the situation that he did. Okay, this is making me. I thought the Knicks part of this was going to make me more depressed than anything else, and <laughs> this is this is taking the cake. Um, anything else we should uh, let's let's finish up on the Knicks. Anything else we should say about that um, segment? Well, we had what before we jump to the Knicks. I have one one little aside. Please, Tony yes, Kuk- Tony Kukoc today looks like one of those <laughs> oligarchs in a failed Russian state who pays, who pays shitty MMA fighters to come hang out with him and shoot AK-47s like a like a Chechen or something. It's <laughs> unbelievable what he's grown into. It's exactly what I expected him to grow into. Um, you know got, what? He got cucked out by Jordan and Pippen once, and now <laughs> he's like killing whatever minority lives in whatever <laughs> failed Hugo <laughs> state is there. But what's you know what's the funniest Call part is now, the way that the way that Jordan was talking about him in the documentary, I, you could tell when Michael Jordan thinks of Tony Kukoc now, he doesn't think of Tony Kukoc his teammate for three seasons with the Bulls. He thinks of <laughs> Tony Kukoc, the fucking guy that he eviscerated on the court in the, the, the Olympics. Oh God, you really it's it's yeah, that's that says a lot about Jordan. Um, okay, uh, the Knicks. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what other, I guess the the thing that I've been thinking about, like, it's it's tough for me because I I wasn't really a fan of the team until 1993. Like, I remember that 93 series, but not really well. I really started following the team until 93 or 93 94 was my my first year. So like. I remember the Bulls rivalry, but like it, it's definitely third on the depth chart for me behind the the Pacers and the Heat rivalries. Um, mm. But just watching tonight, you did get the sense that it was there was like a meanness and a nastiness to it that you just it was like the last vestiges of eighties basketball. Um, mm. Yeah, which was cool. I, I appreciated that part of it. Um, yeah, that was really cool. And you know what? We're going to get more of it next week because it's going to be Scotty season next week. And we're going to get, I'm sure, plenty about that Pippin. I don't think that, you think they're really going to go into what the U Hollands game. I don't think so. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the uh, promo for the next episode says, I, oh, I know, Bill's I know. Best coaching. Yeah, I will. So say. I was there. What at, game? What game were you at? You, I saw we that had text. season tickets before before my my dad turned criminal and <laughs> all the money went away. Uh, we had season tickets, and uh, I was at all. I was at all the home games in '93 and '94. Um, and because of my age, I was eight then. I too look at the look at the Pacers and look at the Heat as the teams that I hate the most. But my dominant memory of Game Two, and it's it's very random but my dominant memory is everyone's losing their mind at the end of the game and there were no little kids around there were no like seven or eight year olds there was one other kid my age like three rows in front of us and the two of us were running up and down the stairs to high five every single time something good happened and i know it's not a real tangible basketball memory but shit like the the emotion the passion in the garden then fucking unbelievable you could uh, feel that building shaking. It was incredible. Okay. I think we've hit the point where this actually is now the most depressing part of the podcast. I was about to say, I don't even know how to follow that up with anything. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, 
maybe one day it'll it'll be that way again. Nah, there's fucking t-shirt cannons now. It's never going to be like that again. Not uh, not if they wish they're making these days. Yeah, no, it's um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm like secretly hoping they get uh they get Chris Paul because at least Chris Paul. You want to talk about vestiges of a time gone by? Um, that there's not many in the NBA left, but he's he's one of them. Um, yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up Chris Paul before we were done because he's another guy. I would have said I would take him over Isaiah, but you know what? I get other people who wouldn't, but I would. Yeah, that's you know, right. Listen, here's the problem with Chris Paul, and I, I love Chris Paul. I, I've come around to the idea that he's probably going to be a Nick soon enough. Back once upon a time in college days in the NCAA tournament, he punched Julius Hodge in the dick. <laughs> Because Julius Hodge was the most pestering, annoying motherfucker of a defensive player on earth. And he just uh, stood in front of him. The, Hodge was behind him. And he just did this thing. He, he I remember his it. I remember down, it. dropped the hammer down. And I remember this too. The dick. And you know why Chris Paul can't be better than Isaiah Thomas? Because Isaiah Thomas would have looked Julius Hodge in the eye while he punched him in the dick. Um, <laughs> God. That's an interesting standard, but uh, oh, that's what we yeah. that's what we should end on. Sue, Sue Bird for next general manager. Um, oh, yeah, Sue Bird, next general manager, signed signed on entirely. I, I, Bernard, I shouted you out on the the, the portion of this pod that's going to air uh, before before uh, this part um, as it, with your text chain about the oh, value the value of a creative uh, GM. Um, Sue Bird seems pretty you good. Know, here, but- same. That was one of your uh, your best highlights from our text chain, basketball related, anyway. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so few. Um, <laughs> all right. Look, Sue Bird is a great basketball mind. When she talks about the game, she gets me fired up. Perry ain't ever done that for me. Uh, yeah, and I don't think he ever will. Uh, sadly, um, yeah. And then we got some great some great Seinfeld clips and. Um, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. I did not realize Danny DeVito was a producer on uh, Out of Sight until I was like, why is he having Out of Sight hat? I was like, what the fuck? Uh, and he was apparently in line to play a role in the film that um, and got, I don't know, someone else got cast ahead of him. Funny. funny. I just like that watching the watching Phil's seven years, he, he aged 30, 35 years. <laughs> his time with the Bulls, it's unbelievable. He, he looks basically the same now as he did in '98. He looks like a child in '92. My my wife had two comments throughout the entire program. One was uh, like she made a, a pathetic little noise when she heard Kobe's voice. Um, <laughs> no, I mean I, I, no, but it it just speaks to the fact that like she she has not cared one iota about this documentary. But when she heard Kobe's voice, she her head popped right up and was like, oh. Um, and then the other part was John, what? Be honest, your noise is probably more pathetic than hers. My noises are always more pathetic than hers. Um, the the other um thing was when she heard Phil Jackson, whose voice she also recognizes. She looked up and she's like, "Oh, what a nice uh, place!" He's giving an interview in like a garden. I'm like, "Yes, he's doing all of his interviews from a garden. Looks very nice wherever he is." <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's it. 
Um, we're, 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 we're three fifths of the way through this. We only got two more of these left. This is crazy. That kind of bums me out. It does too. Yeah. yeah I know. It bums me out too. I don't want it to end. Uh, yeah, you never do. Um, all right. Uh, let's, uh, sign off everybody. Thank you for, uh, listening to another episode of the next film school podcast. And, uh, we love you and stay safe and, uh, the whole thing. Love you soon.